I've got coffee in the studio. This is going to get real. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, everyone, to the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph, teaching pastor here at Wayfarers Christian Church. And I've got with me in the studio... Ashley Wakefield. Hey! Welcome back to the episodes where we are diving into the book of Deuteronomy. We're working through them chapter by chapter, and we are at chapter 8, almost a third of the way there. Really excited for that. Um, This chapter is going to be fun. We're going to dive into a little bit more of God's provision for the Israelites. We're going to talk about what it looked like for the Israelites to enter into the land of Canaan and how Moses begins to begin uh, to kind of lean into that prophet side of him as he preaches this second sermon. So come along for the ride. It's going to be fun. So, we are in chapter 8 today in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, This chapter is a little bit shorter. I've said this the last couple times, and that hasn't turned out that way, but I'm hoping this episode's a little shorter as a result of this. Uh, Give you a little bit of a break from the hour episodes that we've been doing lately. Um, One of the things uh, with this chapter at the very beginning is um, we're going to talk a little bit about commandments and observing the commandments. Um, I'm really excited to talk about that. Um, We're also going to dive into a little bit of just how they uh, were supposed to uh, observe those commandments. Um, We're going to talk about a little bit of the provision that they're going to get. Again, um, this is going to be kind of like a part two, I would say, to the last episode that we dove into, um, especially where it talked about um, the ending of that chapter being that they were going to get into the land and going to enjoy a lot of different things. I was thinking, too, part of this episode... Um, we may talk a little bit about iron and copper a little bit again, because that gets mentioned briefly, um, which was something, if you didn't listen to our last episode, we talked about how uh, the Israelites um, didn't really have a lot of iron and copper when they came in, and so that became a very difficult thing as far as the um, uh, Canaanites were concerned, who got to live in a land where they could mine copper and ore. Um, also, we're going to talk about a little bit of the um, power of, that God is giving them. Um, There's one of the most famous um, verses in, uh, actually the New Testament is in this um, chapter. Uh, We'll talk about manna a little bit, maybe even throw in a little bit of John 6 in there, uh, where Jesus is the bread of life. Um, Also throw in a little bit of Jesus's temptation narrative. So there's going to be a lot of stuff in this chapter. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to kind of diving through all of it. Uh, What were your overall thoughts, Ashley, before we dive into this chapter, just overall when you read it? Um, I was reading it, and it kind of reminded me of certain things that I studied in school. Like, it kind of triggered some things in a really good way um, that I'll talk about on the podcast. Yeah, um, when you said triggered, I was like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I think um, I was looking at the the concept of remembering, which is a really big deal in Deuteronomy, is constantly remembering who God is and his word. And I think that's a really important theme throughout the book of Deuteronomy, is just remembering who God is and what he's done for them in the past. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, I don't know if we've talked about that a lot, but 
Um, we, we talked about it a couple episodes in like episodes one and two, but just a refresher on that too, um, for anyone that might be turning into this episode, um, new, uh, part of the remembrance idea, um, in Deuteronomy is this kind of, uh, writer that's probably, um, editing, uh, the book in the Babylonian era. That's the view that I, I tend to ascribe is that, um, Moses or someone like, uh, like Moses wrote most of the book of Deuteronomy in a very like primitive form. And then during the Babylonian era, um, an editor basically compiled the book into the form that we have it today and, uh, probably made some choices as far as just words alterings and things, nothing like too major or big, but just some small changes that would uh, really make the whole book thematically flow together. Um, and one of those things that we'll see as a result of that, um, and if you've been listening to every episode, you know this, Deuteronomy is really heavy on the concept of remembering um, God's commandments. And one of the reasons that's really important, especially if you're um, editing it in the Babylonian period, is um, they're in exile in that period. And so a big part of them being in exile is that they don't have access to the temple anymore. They don't have access to a lot of the ways that they used to be able to worship God. And so um, this memory component of remembering the commands of God and keeping them in your heart became a really powerful point um, for um, that people group in that time period so that it became became more of a, a thing that they could do without necessarily having to go into the temple and see all of the things that were in the temple and they could actually like uh, mentally um, memorize passages of scripture and and mentally really uh, resonate with a lot of the readings and scripture readings so uh, I think uh, for all those reasons that's why we see a big kind of shift in Deuteronomy in particular to this kind of remembering a lot as well as just the fact that in the story itself um, they're also remembering um, Egypt and all the things that happened in Egypt and all the the might and power of God in Egypt. And so but for both of those reasons, remembering kind of comes to the forefront. So that's just something to pay attention to as we're working through the whole book is you'll see remembering, observing, a lot of those types of uh, words come up and up time and again. So, all right. Um, Ashley's got the scripture reading this time, <laughs> so I'm really excited. Let's go ahead and dive into the chapter. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs, gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. 
He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed, like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. All right, so this chapter opens with be careful to follow every command I am giving you today. Um, I always love when uh, uh, anybody that's like teaching a commandment that I should follow says be careful (laughs) because it's like, uh, oh boy, I better be super serious about this. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any like job that I've been to where, yeah, yeah, I've probably, I've definitely been in jobs where someone has told me specifically be careful not to do x and it always feels a lot more uh serious than if you were to just say hey don't do x like yeah the the adding of the careful is sort of like uh if you do do this you're going to be real in trouble right now yeah. and that's kind of how i read this is just sort it's of like ruin everything <laughs> yeah it's gonna ruin everything I, i'm trying to think of I, i'm trying to think of a story in which that happened um I don't know. Oh, uh, one in coffee shop industry that's a good story of this is um, uh, steam wands are like a little, uh, it's kind of hard to describe a steam wand if you haven't seen them, but um, they basically are this little metal uh, tube that comes out of an espresso machine. And uh, when you turn, usually turn a knob, it'll um, activate a bunch of high pressured powerized steam. And one of the things uh, we were told as baristas when we first started that job was... Um, be careful not to steam anything other than milk, especially sugary things like apple cider or things. And one of the reasons was because um, that tube uh, will steam the the liquid, and after you finish uh, steaming it, it'll actually retract a little bit. So it'll retract any type of sugary kind of syrupy kind of liquid inside itself, and then it'll get like kind of corroded and. Uh, super like uh, jammed in there and might cause like uh, an explosion of some kind from the buildup and also kind of ruin your steam wand. So there's one, there's one example that uh, just came to mind for anyone that hasn't been in the barista world. Um, you probably uh, don't know what I'm talking about, but yeah, for the baristas out there, you definitely know what I'm talking about there. It was one of the things that uh, it felt like people harped on a little too much because I never felt like we were steaming anything with syrup in it, but I definitely remember getting that. Um, one thing I will mention with this chapter in, in particular is you'll see how there's a huge focus on um, humility and how uh, we actually get a little bit. Moses spends a lot of this chapter focusing on um, why God spent um, 40 years uh, kind of testing them in the wilderness, like what was his reasoning and what it was his purpose, which is an interesting kind of um, uh, difference to what you'll see in like, say, Numbers um, and Exodus, where in Numbers and Exodus, it's kind of 
uh, pitched that the 40 years in the wilderness was more about the fact that they messed up so royally when they entered into the land of Canaan. And it was more of a like failure that I'm just going to like send you into the wilderness for the next 40 years. So you die off basically. Um, that's, that's a big story that happens in the book of numbers. But here we get a little bit more of sort of like what God was also doing through that as well. And it's not just that it was a punishment, but it was also sort of a testing period for them where he's uh, essentially allowing them not to (laughs) uh, ever be in an area that they can really thrive off of, but they have to completely rely on him the entire time. And specifically manna gets brought up here as sort of one of the big things that they kind of had to rely on. And that's something that I, I have, wrestled with a lot in my own personal life because I don't know if there's any story I've ever come across where uh, your entire like livelihood for food is completely reliant on stuff falling from the sky regularly. Like, I don't know, like you just like, it's a completely different uh, economic way of looking at life, you know, where you just kind of have to like live off of if, it's going to rain bread, <laughs> you know, like it's, that's a fascinating, like I can't imagine a community just like, you know, we're so used to like, we go to, we go to work, we make money and then we like, you know, go and use that money to buy food. Like that's the way that we get food is we, we put in work and then that work then pays itself off by the fact that we get food. And uh, it's interesting that in this whole story of 40 years, this whole people had to basically, many of them being children um, when they first started out in the Exodus, basically their whole lives was living by God, just raining down bread for them, you know, like, and, and just how that would have affected a group of people for that long, you know, like how, how, yeah. how well, I don't, well, we, I don't think all of us could, you know, relate to that, but I think we can relate to that concept in other ways. Like there are certain moments in our lives where we feel out of control and then we don't have a choice but to depend on God because there's yeah. nothing that we can do. Because <laughs> I know right, that I right. felt like I felt like that before. Like, you know, I may not have had manna raining down, but I've been in situations and I'm currently in a situation where I feel like I don't really have a lot of control and I don't really have a choice but to depend on God because nothing, none of the decisions that I am going to make necessarily make me feel comfortable. And so I kind of have to just put my trust in God that he's going to work it out. So I think that we can definitely, we, we don't all understand that specific, you know, thing, but then we can relate it to other concepts. And I think it's interesting also that relating that idea of God humbling them and testing them um, so that they are self-sufficient because that was like, so that they're not self, self-sufficient completely, that they're also being dependent on them, which was the issue that they had when they were going into the promised land in the first place was the fact that they were trying to figure out how they were going to go in and defeat these giants instead of being dependent on God to do it for them, basically just working through them to do it. And so God is also putting them through this to kind of teach them that that's kind of the whole point is that you're not supposed to be self-sufficient. You're supposed to be depending on me to take care of this stuff. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think it also kind of plays into that concept of of discipline. Discipline, which that's another thing that gets brought up in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, where it talks about how God disciplines those who he loves. He disciplines his sons and how like our parents disciplined us because they thought because they thought it was best. But then he does it for our own good because it produces like a harvest afterwards. And so it's like that concept of like God disciplines us. like He disciplines everybody that is his his child. And he does that because he wants us to benefit from it. So that concept playing in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's almost as if um, Moses is kind of. Um explaining that the discipline of them having to die 
in the wilderness, like that mm-hmm. older generation having to die in the wilderness, wasn't just a straight anger move by God, but mm-hmm. was also a teaching moment, you know? And I think that's kind of what's being brought out here. And specifically, um, like I said earlier, the emphasis is on a humbling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I love verse three because it says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. Um, one of the things I was noticing in... Um, my reading, I've been, uh, I, I, re, I rewatched The Prince of Egypt last night, no. uh, which is by far the best um, uh, Moses Wait, Exodus the best story like. movie ever. <laughs> like uh, no other, I, I'm sorry, Charleston Heston has nothing on The Prince of Egypt. It's the best movie ever. Um, and uh, one of the things of, in that movie that uh, they kind of gloss over that caused me to go back and read it in the story is, well, they, 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 they spend like five minutes on it but um in the in the book like in the exodus um uh, story there's a moment where moses gets back and uh causes uh basically pharaoh to uh make the israelites uh life super hard when he asks for them to let his people go and uh he you know he performs like a really powerful like um staff turning into a snake and mm-hmm. this whole thing goes down but pharaoh is just like uh like I'm, I'm not buying this like i'm not gonna let your people go and he actually gets so angry that um he tells all the israelites that they have to make bricks um at the same quota that they were making them before but now they're the egyptians are not going to provide them straw anymore and so there's this whole like uh chapter really that exodus kind of sets the whole story up as like moses kind of as a failure you know like Mm -hmm. moses really just like went in tried to do the thing and it did not work at all you know and in fact it actually made the lives of um the uh israelites harder um and uh they actually end up going to Moses and like saying like curse be you basically for doing this because like yeah our lives are super hard now um, and we'd have no idea if we're even going to be able to make this quota and so it's it's interesting because in the in the Prince of Egypt movie they actually have uh, that voice of hatred uh, be Aaron and it's actually Aaron that um, <laughs> uh, is the one that like really leans into Moses in the film. Um, and it's an interesting part that I was thinking about as like a, a, a theme that I've seen God work in a lot of times where before God sort of starts to work, he usually puts his people into a, a situation where they actually try and have faith in him. And then it just goes horribly wrong. <laughs> like they try and have faith in him and they try and do the thing and it just doesn't work, you know? And it's this kind of, period that usually happens in a lot of the stories where then if they continue to have faith after this period of everything going horribly wrong when they did try to have faith um then things will happen that are good you know um and uh i've noticed that in a lot of the stories um even um I'm a big fan of The Chosen, and uh, even Dallas, that's part of Dallas Jenkins. He's the uh, writer of The Chosen. That's part of his story is, you know, he had this um, Hollywood film that he put a lot of time and money into and thought it was going to be a big success, and it completely flopped, and he thought it that was the end of his career because he didn't get his money back, and, yeah, it was, like, basically going bankrupt. And so, you know, he thought that he was done, and then The Chosen comes along, you know? And so mm-hmm. it's just this kind of thing where, like, a lot of times there is that kind of story of, 
you're brought out into the wilderness and you're really humbled in that way of being in this verse it's saying you know god caused them to be hungry you know yeah like and they're literally kind of just waiting on god until god finally shows up with the manna and so i wanted to bring that out as just sort of part of this whole wilderness thing and the reason that's important is because by the time we get to the new testament that's exactly what jesus undergoes in his temptation with satan um this uh, this whole passage you could actually kind of map straight on to jesus's temptation story um if if you don't know the story um right after jesus gets baptized in the water um, he is sent out into the wilderness, which is exactly what we're talking about here. And in the wilderness, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, uh, which I can't imagine that. So he goes mm-hmm. hungry literally 40 days and 40 nights. And uh, during that period, um, or I think it's after that period, actually. So it's after the 40 days, um, the devil um, comes to him. And the first temptation he gives him is, uh, hey, if you're like the son of God, like command these stones to become bread because, you know, you have that power and you should do that. Um, And the whole, uh, the line that uh, Jesus uses in that, um, uh, in response to the devil's temptation is man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, which is uh, Deuteronomy. And that is actually verse three of Deuteronomy. Um, And the whole context of this is that, um, uh, Basically, God, uh, what the devil is trying to get Jesus to do in that circumstance is not just like eat bread. That's not the point. The point is that the devil is trying to get Jesus to rely on his own power as opposed to relying on the provision of God to provide him his bread. And that's the point is that if, you know, Jesus could have done a miracle right then and there and commanded the stones to become bread. Um, But just like in Deuteronomy here, the whole point of going out into the wilderness that God wants for the Israelites is for them to rely on him. The whole point of Jesus going out into the wilderness was for Jesus to rely on his father. And yeah, and I think that's kind of the point of why your faith needs to be tested. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and I think going back to the idea of the concept of failure is like, you know, the things that we think are failures are just preparation for something greater, which is basically what God is telling them in this chapter. Is that like, you wandered the wilderness for 40 years, but I'm doing that so that when you get to the promised land and you get all the gold and all the silver and all the increase that you don't forget who I am. And you see God following that same pattern with other characters in the Bible, like Joseph, for example, like Joseph, who had the vision that he was going to basically rule over his family. And then he ends up getting sold into slavery. Then he ends up being in jail. And then after he goes through all that, then he becomes like basically secondhand to Pharaoh. Mm. And then David goes through the same thing where he's a shepherd boy and his father doesn't even give him enough credit to come before Samuel to be, be considered to be anointed. And it wasn't until Samuel calls him that he gets um, that he gets anointed and then he has to go through this whole trial of running from Saul and then like being in the being um being a military being in the military first and then being king of Hebron for seven years and then finally becoming king over the entire nation of Israel and so it's like this process that God takes you through to humble you so that when you get to the point where he's finally got you at that you don't become arrogant and then forget him and then it kind of reminded me also and this kind of goes back to the thing where I was saying oh this triggered me which I shouldn't have said trigger because that was like the wrong word <laughs> no, you're but fine. like I was thinking about how I had this um one of my class assignments like about a year ago was that I had to do a study on the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes. And one of the things mm. that I've learned in that study was like the fact that like your socioeconomic status does play a fact on your 
faith in God and your relationship with him and what you believe. Like the Sadducees, for example, were like the wealthier out of the three and they tended to be the the high priest. So they had more money, they had more status. And so they had a concept of the fact that everything that they earned was more so on their own. Like mm. God, they, they worked hard to get what they wanted. And so God blessed them with what they believed they earned. And they believed in the concept of free will. Like there's like a free will, like everything that happens to me happens because I've earned it, you know? Yeah. And so, and I think that that's a common concept even when you get into other people who you know i'm not going to get into the details of that but like this concept of like you know wealthy like the even the wealth the wealthiest people in like the christian community like this concept that people this back and forth that people have about like is this really like geared towards god or is this geared towards something else is this geared toward a different motive if that makes sense and so and just like the essenes the essenes were like the poorer of the three and so they believed in predestination like whatever happens to me is not because i caused it myself it's because god allowed this to happen and it's like your the amount of money that you make your social standing in society all those different things play a factor in your relationship with god and your faith and what you believe Mm-hmm. And so and it's just like interesting how those those things that you think don't have anything to do with faith kind of do. And it kind of reminds me of how God talks about like and it's not that God is against wealth. So I do want to be clear that that God is not against wealth because he's obviously giving the Israelites wealth and he gave Abraham wealth. You know, so God is not against wealth. He gave Solomon. I mean, he gave Solomon wealth. And so I think it's God just wants you to be humble about it when you get it so that he you understand where it truly came from. That it didn't come from you, that it came from someone that is higher than you, which is God himself. So Yeah. Yeah. And that's the whole thing that like um i think part of the reason that he's bringing them into a land and dispossessing all the people in this land and giving them that land is because um they didn't really earn it like they didn't you know he says in the chapter before that like they're going to come into a land where buildings are already built and Mm -hmm. you know like where like vineyards are already planted and like you know like the idea is that like this is being provided for you this isn't something that you've earned you haven't pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and uh, made it happen you know you you were literally given this as a gift and that is the idea that i i think that like he works through it's interesting because as i was rereading this i was noticing just how much of an emphasis on food and like um like yeah just like eating is in this whole passage like um even from like water and brooks and streams and then like fig trees and vines and oil and honey and all olive oil and honey you know all these different things like it, it seems to be like the the full emphasis of what they're going to inherit in this land um is a lot of like uh, food, you know, and like um, that's kind of how they associated like good times with. Um, you'll mm-hmm. see that in Isaiah is just like um, happy times were when they had like abundant grain, barley, um, wheat, you know, any uh, vine and fig trees. You know, uh, the uh, uh, I, one of my favorite lines in the prophetic books um, is after all the terrible things that happen um, in judgment and stuff. Um, one of the prophets says that um, new times will come when every man will live and sit under their own fig tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea being that like they'll get to uh, have a tree that just constantly produces fruit for them and they get to live under it. And each man has more than enough, you know, mm-hmm. more all the abundance of food that they need. Um, and it's that, it's that kind of image that I think, um, you know, we sort of don't understand Primarily because from the moment we're born, we're kind of taught that you work for what you get. You know, mm-hmm. you don't you work for what you get. You know, like that's that's what we're drilled in 
into our heads is like it's your effort, your work that produces the food on the table. Right. Um, it's not really, and and it's one of those things where you know um, I have really wrestled with this recently because um, you really don't think about it until you're put in a position where. Um, whatever you're doing work-wise the money starts running out and then uh-huh. that's when you're starting to like really think about it in terms of like where does this money actually come from you know yeah like, and and i think that's kind of the thing is like you can you can make it all about the work and effort you put into it and that's really what drives the engine and you can you can do that and you can make a good argument for why that's the case but um i think one of the things that uh god is sort of uh, specifically reminding these people in particular is that they would never have had any of those opportunities for work in the first place right? if he hadn't give it, given it to them. And that's kind of how I think about it too is, yeah, yeah, sure. Like you may do a hard working job and you may work really hard at that job and you may get a paycheck, but how did you get that job? You right. know, like you got that job because someone decided you were worth enough to get hired. And how did that person decide you were worth enough to get hired? Well, they mentally analyzed you and what went through their head you probably don't know you probably don't know what like decide what made them decide that you were worth hiring you know and ultimately i think what Mm. went through their head was probably influenced by god in some sense you know like that's just how i think about it is like there's always a element to uh whatever job you get is ultimately not how well you do in an interview but ultimately like uh although that plays a factor, but it's like mostly like how God is influencing that situation. And that's kind of how I've seen uh, most of my life at least is, you know, I'm one of these weird people that like up until this point, I've never had to, give an interview for a job like every job I've gotten has been offered to me before I even wanted it Mm -hmm. um and like you know that's a gift like and that's something that I take you know with super super grace and like I'm humbled by that because like I haven't had to work for what God's offered me um and that's it's just kind of one of those things where it's like um I having that as like my past story of uh, never having to go out and seek a job, but it always being something that was offered to me. It's just made me really rely on the fact that, yeah, even in today, like we are provided for, you know, and our bread is provided for. Um, uh, Not saying that that's always going to be the case, but it's just one of those things where um, that's my story. And uh, it has uh, made me kind of like realize just how much God still provides for those that are, um, less fortunate, you know? Yeah, that's how I got my job. I mean, I prayed about what I wanted and I was very specific about what I wanted, even down to how much I wanted to get paid. And I literally got pretty much what I wanted, <laughs> like from how much <laughs> I got paid to the kind of people that I worked with to, you know, me being able to do a certain kind of job. Like, I mean, I got exactly what I wanted. Like God didn't leave anything out. And it was sort of like, that was the first time in my life that that ever happened. And the fact that I did that and then it happened, I knew that God, it was only God that did it because there's no way that I've been able to do that without God's help. And, you know, speaking of the concept of money, and this reminds me of this, and I know this is a very controversial topic, but then I don't mean, I don't mind talking about controversial stuff, but it also kind of reminds <laughs> me of the concept of like tithing offering, which is a very touchy subject for a lot of churches to talk about because a lot of people are very uncomfortable giving money to churches, um, which I really don't understand. And I was having, I was talking to God about this actually today. And I was just like, people will spend money on all kinds of things, like getting their nails done, getting their hair done, like buying things that they really don't need that they just want to have because it looks nice and it makes them feel good, but they don't actually invest in something spiritual because that's what 
tithing and offering is it's like I think people get confused because they think it's just an exchange between two human beings they think that like if I put money in this collection plate if I donate online or however it is that your church pays or whatever you think about how a church pays you think that this person is taking this money from me and I have no idea what they're going to do with it and I think that churches should like give you an explanation for what they do I think that every person has a right to know that but then at the same time I also feel like that there's something spiritual going on there that we're neglecting if we're only looking at a person taking the money and doing whatever it is that they're doing with it like it's an obedience to God that brings you closer in fellowship and relationship with him and that releases something in your life and it may not necessarily release like another paycheck because I think sometimes people mistakenly think oh if I put like $50 in the church I'm going to get like a hundred dollars back and that may not necessarily be what God has in mind for you but I think that there's something greater in mind that you're building up that is eternal when we're laying up treasures in heaven that are greater than the treasures that we lay up on earth and I feel like that that's something that we don't ever talk about understanding that the money that we are given is not really our money it's given to us by God and that if we're giving it back even if that person is doing something with it that we don't know or something that we figure is very shady understanding that God is going to punish that person in his own way in his own time and that God's not going to withhold a blessing from us just because someone else is doing something negative with it so I just wanted to say that and you know like I said I don't don't think that's controversial at all like um, that's just part of the idea is like even in Acts like the whole way that the first church started was uh, everybody that became a Christian was like all right well all my money is now yours. And they literally would go out yeah. and sell all of that they owned and then they would dump it in a big pot. And they were like, all right, apostles, you figure out what to do with this. You know? And it was like one of those weird things where like that's what everybody was doing. And, you know, so much so that Ananias and Sapphira want to get in on all the praise because uh-huh. that's like what everybody else was doing. And they're like, oh, well, let's sell our land and like give the money. Um, and, and they decide halfway through they're like well we can get the praise for selling the land but at the same time we can you know keep some of it back and you know like the whole story of ananias and sapphira wouldn't have happened if it wasn't the fact that everybody was so um like giving in that time period that it was sort of like uh people felt ashamed not to give. And that's exactly where Ananias and Sapphira were in was they're like, you know, like everybody's giving, I, I don't really want to give this land, but like, if I don't, then I'm just going to experience a bunch of shaming is kind of the way I think I'm reading into that, that their motives for it. But, um, they are like, yeah, I still want to keep some on the side. And that's what Peter says to them is like, you should have just like kept the land. You didn't have to sell the land. Like, it's not like you're forced to. Yeah. Um, but like it's the whole point of the, the reason that they do it is because they're trying to get the social status from giving. Um, and that's what he's not okay with. Um, and, and I think that's kind of like, as far as like, um, the church goes, you know, there, it's not about um, it, a part of that is just Western culture um, and just the idea that like uh, we always have this like idea of investing in something like uh-huh. uh, this, this is kind of the, the, the like you want to know what you're going to get out of it. Yeah, if I put yeah my money. exactly. Ex- exactly. Like if I invest in you, what's my return on my investment? You know, like that's kind of the, the word of, of especially in America where we think in that, that kind of way all the time. Um, yeah. And it, it's, one of those things that when you one investing is built on the concept of interest, which we'll talk about this in a a future episode of Deuteronomy, but um, uh, interest is uh, strictly forbidden in the uh, 
um, Israelite culture. Um, they're not supposed to, um, if they loan money to another person, they're never supposed to charge interest for it. Um, and so the idea of like, oh, I'm going to give you money so that I get an investment back, like interest back is very anti Deuteronomy anyway. Um, and, uh, on top of that, it's like, uh, like if that is your mentality as I want to give so that I get in return, you know, then you're not really giving from the right motives. You right. know, you're the, the giving should be out of the joy and gladness of your heart, not because you're trying to get some type of, uh, reward of like some, material thing you know yeah you'll get a reward as far as like um uh like god looks down uh favorably on people that give um but it's not like you're looking for like your church to do better if you give or you know like mm -hmm. you can start to like evaluate the giving process all day long and like yeah. you know like i as far as i think that's just in a very american thing um and it, it's also one of those things where you see the church not necessarily as a uh, thing that God's working with, and instead mm -hmm. you kind of see the church as a business, you right? Know? Like, exactly, and, and then that's just kind of just yeah. not how not how you should be thinking about the church, anyways. The church is not a business, even though we have to like file it with the government as a business. It's not technically that. It's it's something where a group of people come together, and the spirit of God <laughs> should be in that place, and makes it more than what it is individually with its individual members so um that's a whole side trail but i'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> i think that's like you know really important to just the concept of what he's getting at here and and the the again the whole focus of this whole chapter is that like um we'll kind of skip ahead to like what he says um in like verse 10 and following uh, when you have eaten and satisfied praise the lord your god right like you should be thankful to god for all the things that you got as this gift um and here here's that word again be careful that you do not forget the lord your god um failing to observe his commandments his laws otherwise when you eat and are satisfied and when you build your houses and settle down and when your herds and flocks grow large your silver and gold increase and all uh, you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is one of the things I've noticed is um, there are a lot of people, I think, in our culture today that have had it well off, you know, that they've done hard work and they've had mm -hmm. things happen. And, you know, I just get the sense that, like, they have not really reconciled that with the opportunities they may have had to get there, you know, mm -hmm. um, they have not reconciled that with like, maybe even like the fact that like their race played a part in that. Um, yeah. and just like how many things they are, um, given, um, that like they may not be thinking about and that, um, they should be thinking about because that will, um, allow them to, uh, remember that everything is a gift of God's and that they shouldn't become this kind of self oriented person that sees everything as, Oh, this was because I did it, you know, right. like, and, and, and everything is a gift. And I think that's really where it's like, um, for me, at least, uh, this is where he starts to get more prophetic and predict that this is exactly where Israel's going to go. They're going to get down into the land. They're going to like, uh, 
have things happen well. Um, and I think this is really like the beginnings of why Jesus will say in the New Testament, truly I say to you, it's easier for a rich, uh, it's easier for a camel to enter into the eye of a needle. That's what I was trying th- to say. Did I say that? I don't know if you said it or not, but. <laughs> I think I was thinking it in my head and I okay, didn't say it, but I'm okay. glad you said it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Truly I say to you, it's easier for a rich, uh, a camel to enter into the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. It's not saying that every rich man is always going to go to hell. You know, what it's saying is that the more rich you get, the less um, uh, you tend to think of uh, yourself, uh, you, the less you think of that as a gift from God, and the more you think of that as something you earned, um, and the more self-oriented you become, and the less, and the harder it becomes to give up that wealth, actually, um, because you feel like you earned it, right? You mm-hmm. know, and that's the whole thing is like, if... You, when you're poor, I love this. This is, I'm going to go back to the Prince of Egypt again um, as a good example of this. Um, there's a song in there that says, look through heaven's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole point is that Moses feels like he's worthless and doesn't feel like he has any value anymore because he had all this wealth in Egypt and then realized that he was actually Hebrew and he got all this as kind of a grace card. And so that causes him to feel all the shame because he's been enjoying all this wealth and everything when he didn't really earn it like it was just something that was given to him and so he goes off into the desert and he's like look i'm just a worthless person because everything i had was given to me and i don't have anything now i threw it all away and i'm just this person that like you know doesn't deserve to have any type of compliment given to me and so his father-in-law jethro in the movie tells him um one, like you're looking through it through a very material lens. Um, you're looking through it from Earth's eyes. And he's like, you need to look at it through heaven's eyes um, and see that like even a single thread in a tapestry, right? Like it can doesn't see its purpose, but it's a part of like a grand design and like a tapestry, you know, um, and like a stone that's like on the top of like the highest mountain. Does it think it's more important than the stones that form the base? Right. Like mm-hmm. um, it begins to talk about tell him like, look, you don't understand that ultimately um, you're a part of something way grander than just yourself and what um, you may have had as far as wealth goes. And he, he really hits it home in the second verse where he talks about how um, uh, one of my favorite lines is when all you have is nothing, there's a lot to go around. And that's why we give so freely. Um, because the idea is that like when you have nothing, yeah, you can give all the time because like there's this, you don't feel like you have this possessive kind of mindset where it's mine Mm -hmm. because you don't have anything that's mine, you know? And he said, that's actually a good thing that you've gotten to that place basically where like you've given up everything and realized that everything's really just a gift because now you can then anything that you get, you can then give back and feel like, you know, you're a part of something grander than just kind of this very individualistic, oh, I'm going to go home and enjoy all my wealth that I've earned for just myself and mm-hmm. instead think about it as something in which the wealth that I get, I can then add to the collective whole of the world, you know? And I think that's kind of like um, one of the most powerful things you can learn that I see here in Deuteronomy is that like wealth and this possession and provision of food and all of these good things that they're going to get in the land should have caused them not to then go home and enjoy this in the private of their own home, but instead should have caused them to grow it with other people and to um, 
basically spread it around and spread the abundance around. Remember, I keep saying over and over, the point of the Israelites was not that they were just supposed to set up a temple and then just kind of do their religion thing in this new land and that was it. Like the point was that they were supposed to be a light to the nations. And this Mm -hmm. is part of that is like the wealth part of it, the spreading of wealth to the foreigner, um, to the widow, to anyone that has need. And that's kind of like what um, they lose if they begin to see themselves as a people that earned it themselves um, and a people that it's mine and my stuff, you know? Yeah. And I think that kind of goes into the concept of pride as well, because I think that in the Western world, I think it's more so like we live by an individualistic society. So like everything that we earn for ourselves is valued more highly. Like if I got a job myself, if I got into a certain kind of school myself, if I bought a house on my, if I got a house on my own, got a car on my own, like that level of success, like I did all these successful things on my own without any help. Like that's what you're supposed to do. Like you're not supposed to have any help because like you're just being lazy and then you're getting a handout or you're living off your parents or whatever. And I remember thinking like how it's not always that way in other parts of the world. And I'll see people online making comments about people who struggle with those issues because I've struggled with that. And I know other people who have struggled with that. Like maybe they lived on their own, like they're married, they've got kids, they lived on their own, but then like their lease was up and they couldn't find anywhere to go. So they had to move back in with their parents temporarily or something, something like that, you know? And I feel like that there's other communities out there who are focused on community in the sense that like, I don't mind you living with me. if That's what you need to do until you get back on your feet. Or like if you're not married and you're single and you have to stay with me until that happens and I'm fine with that, you know, but that's not how it is in the Western world. Like the Western world is very fixated on like you achieving success on your own. And if you didn't get it on your own, that it's not real success. And so I think other parts of the world are more focused on like being successful in community and not being successful on your own. And so when you're gaining something, it's not something that you did on your own. It's something that someone helped you with. And there's no shame in that. But for us in the Western world, it just is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're totally right. There is this sense in which if you don't, earn enough to support yourself you are a second-class citizen you know um and uh i think that's actually caused a lot of the governmental political problems that we have in our culture because like uh there are certain situations where you're disabled or where you um are mentally not available able to do the work of someone and so what what do we do with that like how do we do that and the answer has been um well let's just like make the government pay those people a check so that they can keep living, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting thing because like that would never be an issue if we were more communally operated. And um, I talk all the time about how like um, a lot of what the government provides people for today is because churches stopped providing for them. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's the whole point is like you wouldn't need Medicare and Medicaid if you had churches willing to hand out checks more freely, you know? And like, I I think that like, it's the, it's the unwillingness to hand out those checks Mm -hmm. to people because we have this Western mindset of, well, you know, like we can't just have you freeloading off of us for the rest of your life kind of thing. So, uh, them making that call has then forced that to come then onto the government and the government now does it, you know? And it's like it, the government is actually like in that sense being more 
providing and more filled with abundance than the church is. Yeah, and the ironic thing about it is that like when people have that attitude in the church, like they're like, well, why do I have to give? Because I've had you know yeah. family members discuss like, why do I have to give? How come the church can't figure that out? Well, you are the church. Like the church, <laughs> the yeah. church is not the building. The church is the people. So when you're asking how come I have to give that, well, how come the church can't do it? You are the church. You're yeah. talking about yourself. Yeah, exactly. And so I think it's like if you're going to ask that question, then you need to ask yourself, well, how come you don't want to give in this church? Like, what is your reason for not wanting? to give like it's just like if you were in that situation and you would want someone to give to you then you, you give to this you give to that person the same way you would want to be given to you because you're also a part of that church and well, yeah you're totally right and it's totally like stealing a blessing away to just like off offset uh, uh to like what's the word um like put all that on the government to do because when, mm-hmm. it, when you get a government check you just don't feel good about it like you don't feel like it was a gift you just feel like the government's kind of giving you a pity pity check yeah. you know whereas like if someone from your church community were to gift you a check for something you know because you're struggling right now that would feel amazing because yeah. it's an individual you know like it's someone that's like super like um uh cared enough to help you out in that circumstance you know and like i think we we miss out on the huge opportunity to love people um in that way when we don't do that and we just kind of off uh, you know just like put it on some like larger entity that can tax people and force people to give you know um and i think that's the thing is like um i i really believe that like the church ultimately should be that sense a place of abundance where they're not so possessive over their funds and do not have this very i earned it kind of philosophy to Mm -hmm. things and it's mine you know and um you know there's a verse in um the uh Sermon on the Mount that has really uh, shocked me to my core. Uh, a lot of times in the Sermon on the Mount, this happens because I think of any place in Scripture, um, it's the Sermon on the Mount that like tends to uh, be the place where I will read something and uh, then be like, "Whoa, did Jesus really say that?" Like that. That's that is severe, and uh, I'm gonna have to look a little bit here to find it. Um, but um, give, it's basically a line that says, give to anyone who asks. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew 5, 42. Um, and, uh, whoop, 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 hold on. Uh, sorry, pulling this up on my uh, phone sometimes uh, makes this a little bit more slow. But um, you would think with technology being what it is. I said 542, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, he talks about. Um, it's kind of like the eye for an eye passage where in verse 38, he says, you have heard that it was said eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them, uh, the other cheek also. I've heard tons of sermons on all this. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Heard tons of sermons on that. What I have not heard a single sermon on is verse 42. Give to anyone who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Like legit, like one of the laws that Jesus says is like, literally, if anyone asks you for money, give to them. Like that's in scripture, like give to anyone who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Like if you turn away someone that wants to borrow from you, you're not following what Jesus told you to do. Like it's right there in verse 42. Um, and like, I'm sure there's caveats we could give. Cause Jesus also says in that sermon, like, <laughs> you know, if you're 
right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And, you know, you could go into a lot of like why you don't actually have to cut off your right hand Mm -hmm. and stuff. But like, I'm not saying it's like an open and shut case, but I do say that like, we don't really think about that verse and we don't think about its implications for what he's saying there. And I've never really heard a sermon on that because I think people are really uncomfortable with that idea, you know, as just like a verse that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And it's just something that like, I think overall, like um, I wish like we all were better at doing, and I understand it's super hard. This isn't me coming up on a high horse and saying like, oh, I've got all this figured out. And I, you know, like it's just as hard for me in those cases, especially as someone that's very poor to do that kind of thing. Um, And I do think that there's a sense in which you'll see in the Paul, Paul's books, he doesn't force people to give. Um, and it's never meant to be a forced thing, right? Like it's meant to be something that you give joyfully. Um, but it's also the reason that it, you can give joyfully. The way that you can get there is by realizing that nothing that you have now is yours. It's right. not, not your possession. And once you start getting away from saying mine and start saying it's his, right? Um, then that it starts to be more joyful when you can give it, you know, and it's easier to give. And it, that, that becomes the way kind of th- the through line, I think, to being able to make that happen more effectively and more uh, where it doesn't hurt as much when we do give, you know. Um, it's definitely one of those things where, like, uh, we will probably always be wrestling with it throughout our entire lives. And there will always be a sense in which we're always asking those questions of like, um, when is the right time to give and when isn't, but I don't think viewing it from the perspective of, is this a good investment is the right Mm -hmm. move. You know, um, I think, I think the move here is to think of it from what he is saying and wants them to think of it as, is you were given this mm-hmm. um, yourselves. And if this person is in need and is in, in this situation, um, maybe they need the gift that was given to you, you know, um, and think about the fact that you that's that's kind of a point that he spends a lot of time on throughout the whole of Deuteronomy is like he'll mention this as far as slaves go, like be kind to slaves and foreigners because you were slaves once in right. Egypt, you know, and exactly. the same applies with giving. Right give to people because you were given by God, you know? And so it's kind of this, this idea of like, you know, if you don't do what was doing done to you, um, then you're kind of like falling down on the whole reason God gave to you in the first place, you know? Um, and I think that's, that's one of those things where, uh, we always forget that first bit is that, you know, it's even like, uh, in the new Testament, it'll go so far as to say like we forgive because he first forgave us, you know, like it's always kind of going back to that idea of like nothing you have was earned by you, you know? Yeah. And I think it goes back to that concept of treating other people the way that you want to be treated, which is like the golden rule. People talk about that all the time, but people don't follow it very easily. Cause I think that's another concept of giving. It's like, you're giving to people in the same way you want to be given because you never know when you're going to end up in that situation. Because, I mean, I feel like I've told myself I'm not going to end up in this situation. I'm not, that's not going to happen to me. And then it did happen. And, like, I yeah. had a situation with a person who, will I, who I will not name who was very critical of me when I was unemployed. And so I was mm. unemployed and didn't have the, the finances to do certain things. And that person was very judgmental and very critical about my situation. And then the tables ended up turning where I was employed and that person was unemployed. Nice. And then, I, and then I, that person was more dependent on 
on me to do things for them. And so I had to make the choice to not treat that person the same way that I did. And so that's like the concept of like, you never know what kind of like position you're going to end up in life. Like just because you have money now does not mean you're going to have it tomorrow. Just because you have a job today does not mean you're going to have a job tomorrow. Just because you have a house and a car today does not mean you're going to have one tomorrow. And so when you're in a position to, you're in a position where you have those things and you're able to share it with someone else, then you share it, you know, in, you know, in a reasonable manner, but cause you never know when you're going to end up in that position and you're going to need somebody to give you the thing that they were asking for. So, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think that's a great place to kind of close it out. He, he wraps this whole chapter up in verse 19 by talking about like idolatry is still ultimately the main issue underneath all of this. And I do want to touch on that briefly, just saying that ultimately if you see yourself as the power and strength in which you've brought this wealth into existence and brought it to fruition, then ultimately you're setting up yourself as the God of your own world. And I think that's kind of why he closes with this idea of don't follow after other gods, because if you think about it in their, their terms, right? um, Following after gods wasn't just because that's what was available and you could worship all these different gods. The reason they followed all these other gods is because um, in the land of Canaan in specific, gods were associated with, provision and they had a god for rain they had a god for crops growing really well they had a god for um storms coming and not coming you know like they had all these gods for things that mattered to their livelihood right they were the things you prayed to so that you could grow crops that you could have rain and so it wasn't just like oh let's go worship because that's the thing you do here is religion you know or whatever it's they had reasons for why these gods existed. And one of the things I think that he's relating here is the idea that like any reason for your livelihood being provided for, be that your own power and strength, be that another God, any reason other than the Lord Yahweh as the right provider of all these things, any reason is ultimately going to lead you to a place that doesn't have those things provided for you. It's mm-hmm. only God that provides those things. Yes. And that's that's the point is like if, if, if you're relying on yourself, if you're relying on other gods, it doesn't matter. You're ultimately um, uh, going to end up in a road where you won't have those things provided for you um, because you're trying to do it on your own strength or you're trying to do it on the strength of these lesser deities um, that may have some demonic influences that ultimately either or will take you down a road you'll you'll find that the demon of yourself and the demon of other gods ultimately end in the same route which is you usually poor and worthless mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's that's the thing is like uh, I think that's his whole point in this chapter is trying to remind them how much God provides for them and how much he's the only source of anything you need so I think that's a great place to end it on um, today. Um, hope this was challenging for all of you. And um, I definitely would encourage you guys, um, if there's um, any type of nonprofit, any church that you're a part of, really think about um, uh, are you supporting them? And uh, I encourage you to um, give give today even to those those nonprofits and to your churches. Um, I think that's a call that this, this chapter is asking us to do. So um, definitely do that. So Amen. Thank you so much, guys, for uh, always listening every week, and we will be back in your feed again next week. Bye-bye. Bye.